We're going to turn to the final paragraph of Galatians and close out our Galatians study. So before I make that turn, let me pray for us and we'll open God's word. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing here. And we are excited, um, Lord, that your spirit is at work, that you're raising up young men and women to serve you in new and exciting ways. Thank you that we as a church get to be a part of your kingdom in that way. Lord, I pray that today as we study your word and we close out the study in Galatians, that your Holy Spirit would uh, just open our hearts, uh, our, our minds. Lord, if there's, if there's some way that we have missed the main point that Paul's been trying to make, I ask that your Spirit uh, drive it home today as we look into your word. And pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So yes, we've been in the book of Galatians since January, which honestly, to me, feels like a short time. Uh, we've taken pretty big chunks of Galatians most of the time, and uh, we could have easily moved through this verse by verse and taken much, much longer. Galatians, if you'll remember, is believed to be the very first book of the New Testament. It was written in about 48 AD after Paul had completed his first missionary journey, planting the churches uh, throughout southern Galatia. I say first book because uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not write their gospels until a little bit later. Uh, if you hold to what, what's believed to be the, the, the even the earliest datings of the gospels. So, uh, this is the, what, a great insight into what was going on in the early church. And Paul's argument throughout Galatians has been that we are set free in Christ. That in Christ, something new has happened and all that was old has passed away. And, and, and he has, it's all rooted and focused upon one central theme, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. In particular, Galatians tends to have more focus on the cross. And so when we come to the end of Galatians, where Paul is going to summarize uh, in some way his argument, he comes back to that idea of the cross, what matters most. So read with me Galatians 6, verses 11 through the end of the book, down through verse 18. The scripture says, look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow this standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul here, uh, he, he wants to make the point that there's only one thing worth talking about. There's one thing worth bragging about as far as he's concerned within the body of Christ. And it is not his good deeds is not his, his uh, history, his upbringing. 
Paul says, the only thing that I believe is worth bragging about is the cross of Christ. And so I've titled the message today, Something to Brag About. Now, certainly this isn't the only place we find this theme. Uh, Matthew read this morning from 1 Corinthians where Paul has a similar idea that he's communicating. It is Jesus Christ and what's taken place through the cross that, that is worth g- g- garnering our entire attention. But Paul starts with an intriguing uh, intro here. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. If you're not familiar with Paul's writings historically or, or uh, even the, uh, the practice of, of early authors, more than likely, most of Paul's letters were dictated. Now, he didn't have a dictation machine like, you know, we do. We can talk into our iPhones and it dictates things for us. I, I've come to find out that that doesn't always work very well if you try to read someone's uh, message that they left you on the phone. Uh, I had one just this week. I was reading that going, what the heck is that? Uh, what are they saying there? Uh, Siri or whoever is inside my iPhone did not do a good job dictating uh, what was on the, uh, on the message. And yet, most of uh, Paul's letters would have been dictated until he comes down to the end here and he's going to make a point on his own. And so Paul, he says, look at what large letters I use. Now, there's been a lot of conjecture. Why did Paul have to use large letters? Was it because he was crippled in some way, because the beatings he'd gone through, because he'd been stoned at Lystra? Uh, more than likely, uh, I just have the view that Paul wrote in big letters because he wanted to make his point. Maybe his handwriting looked a little bit different than uh, than the 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 guy that he was using to dictate. But in any case, he writes in big letters because he has a point that he wants to make. Now, like John Henry signing the, the Declaration of Independence. He wanted his to stand out. So Paul wants this to stand out. He wants to drive the point home. So he's writing in his own handwriting this last paragraph. And then he starts talking about uh, those others who are bragging about other things. So the first primary point that I want to make here is, is this. Even our very best isn't worth bragging about. Even the best that I can accomplish isn't worth bragging about. Now, he's going to use the illustration of these, these uh, Judaizers or the circumcision party that he's dealt with all throughout the book of Galatians. And he begins by saying, those who want to make a good impression in the flesh... These are the guys that they, they want to look good. And so they're religious and, 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 you know, they make sure that as Jesus says, they've cleaned the outside of the cup. Paul's, Paul's going to make the point that no matter how good they look on the outside, no matter how good of an impression we can make on the outside, our impressions are never good enough to brag about. Now, why would that be? Who, where's this bragging focused? What, who are we bragging to? I I would essentially say that the one that matters the most is the Lord himself. And and my good impressions are not going to be enough to satisfy the Lord. Can I do enough good deeds Can I brush myself up enough? Can I clean myself up enough that I come into the throne room of God and God goes, oh my gosh, you look awesome. 
Wow, look at all the good things you did. You are so glorious. There's nothing that I can do. I can't clean myself up enough that I'm going to impress God. And he's the only one that matters, right? He's the only one worthy of our impression. And in fact, within religion, in, in a very real way, that's what the circumcision party of the Judaizers are trying to do. They're trying to be religious enough that God accepts them. And, and can you even imagine walking into the Holy of Holies like Isaiah? He has this incredible vision with, with, with the throne room of God filled with the glory of God, the angels surrounding the throne crying out, holy, 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 and I walk in. And all of a sudden, the throne room of God becomes silent. And all the angels turn their attention to me. And they come and they start swarming around my head and giving, giving honor to my countenance and saying, holy, holy, holy is Dennis. What a joke, right? Can I ever be holy enough that I'm brag worthy in the throne room of God? Absolutely not. My goodness, my religious exercise is not brag worthy when it comes to the Lord. And so there, our good impressions will never be enough. There's one sub point that I didn't put in my text here, but uh, in my notes, but, but I want you to see it. He says, uh, they make a good impression in the flesh because they compel you to be circumcised. Paul goes on to say, and yet at the end of verse 13, they want to want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. So one of the other things that they're doing is they're trying to get enough people to uh, join their you know, following, to, to, uh, to be circumcised and become religious, kind of like them, that they can come into the throne room of God and say, hey, God, look at what a great big congregation I built. I got all these people circumcised. Aren't I a great leader? It reminds me of, of the idea of a pastor coming before the Lord in, in the time of judgment and saying, oh, Lord, aren't I a wonderful pastor for you? I've got 5,000 people in my Sunday school. The Lord's like, so? I made seven billion. <laughs> the, the point that I want us to see here is that all of our religious exercise, all of our effort, all of our cleaning ourselves up is nothing to brag about before a holy God. He, he says, look, even those people who are religious and compel you to follow their religion, they can't even follow their whole religion. They, they can't follow the whole law. They pick a part of it. They'll choose a piece of the law and they'll make sure that they're following that right and they'll compel you. This word compel, Paul uses three times back in Galatians chapter two as well when he's talking about those um, circumcisers compelling others to, to be circumcised as a sign of their, their faith. And, and Paul says they'll, they'll try to compel you, but it's so that they can kind of look good. They can't even keep the whole law. They've just picked a portion of it. That's one of the things that, that we ought to remember. Be very, very careful about focusing so much on others' sin 
that you aren't allowing the Lord to deal with your sin. The truth is we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And beyond that, all of us struggle even as born-again believers in Christ. All of us do battle against the flesh. Unless you are so holy that you fully defeated the flesh. Even the apostle Paul, as he wrote the letter to the Romans, said, man, there's things that I do that I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I don't do, and I tend to have this ongoing battle with my flesh. He says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, we have a deliverer. But Paul recognizes that as long as we live in the flesh, we're going to be doing battle with the flesh. None of us, until the Lord completely finishes his, his process of glorification where he gives us a new spirit or in a new body. He's given us the new spirit. He gives us a new body to, to connect with that spirit. At that point, there'll no longer be a battle between our flesh and our spirit. But that day hasn't come for any of us yet. Jesus hasn't returned yet. We haven't seen the rapture yet. And so the, the very truth is that none of us can keep the whole law. So be cautious about being a, becoming a religious zealot, forcing a portion of the law on someone else when you yourself can't keep the whole law anyway. The, this comparison game will never work with God. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order that they can boast about your flesh. The idea is uh, that, that in a lot of ways, religious those who are religious want to compare their religion against your failure to be religious. And so here's the, the truth. Everybody in here, you can probably look around you at your place of work or school or even in your pew and you can find somebody who's not as holy as you. You know, I don't see, I'll see a few husbands and wives looking at each other. You, you can look around, you can find somebody who's not as holy as you. If you, if you want to play the comparison game, you can do that. The, the, the problem is, though, you can probably look around you and find somebody that's better at this religious game than you are. The truth is, it doesn't matter. Because the other person's sin or righteousness is not the standard to which we'll be held. The standard to which we'll be held is God's holiness. And none of us measure up to the standard of God's holiness. But there's good news. There is an answer. And that's where Paul goes from here. He says, so I'm not going to brag about my religion. I'm not going to brag about how many of you I brought along. I'm not going to brag about anything else except the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what Christ has done in the cross is worth bragging about. Here in verse 14, he says, As for me, I'll never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing, but what matters instead is a new creation. 
See, the bottom line, now Paul, his argument throughout Galatians has been this issue of whether or not you have to be circumcised to be saved. The idea of being circumcised, you have to become a Jew, a religious Jew or a Jewish convert verse before you can be saved. That's the argument that Paul has dealt with in various ways throughout all of this book of Galatians. It was an ongoing argument within the early church. Uh, that's why if, if you've been in growth group the last couple of weeks when you studied the, the Jerusalem council, it was settled at the Jerusalem council that no, you don't have to become Jewish to be saved. Gentiles can come to faith in Christ by faith alone because the truth is the only way that Jews can come to Christ is by faith alone. And so ultimately, whether you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised, it's Paul's way of saying whether you're Jewish of origin or you're not, whether you're religious or you're not religious, no matter what background you come from, there's one thing that matters, and that is, have you come to the cross of Christ? Because the cross is our only hope. So Paul says... I'm going to glory in the cross. I'm going to brag about the cross of Jesus because it's in the cross that I've died to the world and that the world's died to me. So in the, because of what Christ did on the cross, religion doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the transformation that's taken place inside of me because of what Jesus accomplished when he died for my sin on the cross. How does that flesh itself out for you and me? What it boils down to is there's only one thing that we ought to really be bragging about, and that is Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. I want to I say something cautiously here, maybe not too cautiously, because what Christ did on the, uh, on the cross, when he gave up his life on the cross and he died on the cross, you'll remember in the text, and we, we may look at this more on Good Friday, there, there were some incredible things that took place at that moment. When Jesus took his last breath, Matthew writes that the, the veil of the temple, the, that veil that separated the general population, or, or in fact, even those who, Jews who had come to worship in, in, the, in the temple, that separated them from the Holy of Holies, this veil that, that was an image that, that no one could go into the holy place to meet God was torn from top to bottom. A, a picture God gave us that now, because of what happened on the cross, because his son shed his blood on the cross, you and I now have access into the throne room of God. We can come in his very presence. We can once again have a relationship with God. But it doesn't come through our good works. It doesn't come through our religion. It comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That cross, the crucifixion of Christ, is our hope for eternal life. It is only at the cross that we're going to find forgiveness of our sins. Scripture teaches a theology of redemption, that Christ paid the penalty for our sins through his shed blood on the cross. Scripture also teaches a, a picture of substitution, that Christ became the substitute who died on our behalf when he went to the cross. Christ on the cross purchased for us new life. You'll, you never get to have Easter 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternity, the hope of living forever, of a resurrected body, of a glorious forever. You never get to have that unless you first have the cross. And we live in a culture oftentimes that does not want to talk about the cross. We want to talk about the resurrection. We want to talk about Easter because it feels good. The truth is our services throughout this nation will be filled with people that only go to church on Easter Sunday because the resurrection is awesome. It's glorious. <coughs> without the resurrection, there is no eternal life. But I'm here to tell you that without the cross, there is no resurrection. Without the crucifixion, there is no new life. There is no forgiveness. And so the, the cross is just as crucial as the resurrection. Let us not just preach those things that feel good like the resurrection. Let us preach the truth that first we must die to our sin. First, we must come to the cross and humble ourselves and, and lay down before the cross of Christ and say, Jesus, forgive me. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's never, thank you, Jimmy. Let's never get to a point where all we want to talk about, all that we want to preach about is what feels good. Because if we don't come to the cross, we'll never find eternal life. And that's the focus of Galatians to a large extent. Galatians isn't a focus on the resurrection. It's a focus on the cross. And so Paul brings it home when he says, if I'm going to brag about anything in my life, I want to brag about what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag about the cross because it's at the cross that I died to the world. I've died to, 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 to my flesh. The world no longer means anything to me to, to the extent that religion no longer means anything to me. Look at verse 15. <coughs> Both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing to me anymore. What does he mean by that? How does that affect us? Here's the bottom line here. Whether or not you're very religious or not very religious, whether or not you can do all the right things, whether or not you're one of those people that you just have good flesh, you, you, just, you just seem to get it right anyway. Uh, I, I've joked about this. There's a, there's a book by Bill Gillum called Lifetime Guarantee that says, you know, there's some people in this world, they're just good people. They have USDA choice flesh. They have good flesh. Doesn't mean that they never sin. They're just good people anyway. That's my wife, okay? She, she is a good person. She was a good person before she was saved. She wasn't saved because her goodness didn't save her, but she was a good person before she was saved. She's a good person after she was saved. And, and in Christ, he, he's made her that much greater. And then there's me. My brothers and my parents would have told you that outside of Christ, no, I'm not going to tell you because I'm not going to use the words that they would have used. <clears throat> I was trouble, okay? And, and even though I'm saved, and, and, and my only hope is the cross of Christ, I still battle with flesh like crazy. There's things that I, that I say sometimes I should not say. There's things I want to say, that, and, and the Lord is in the process of, of, of cleaning me up and sanctifying me, and, and 
Thanks be to God that, that with him, nothing is impossible because that's a long process. <clears throat> that's just how I'm, how I'm put together. I, I did not have choice flesh, okay? I hope you get that, that, that image because what Paul is telling us here is whether you are of the religious people or you're of the unreligious, you're the circumcised or you're of the uncircumcised, none of it matters anymore because the cross has leveled the playing field. Susan's only hope of eternal life is found in the cross. My only hope of eternal life is found in the cross. It's not found in good flesh or bad flesh, being a good person or a bad person in that way. It's found in Jesus. He is my hope. And what he did on the cross has made all of the difference in the world. <clears throat> so in Christ, at the, the foot of the cross, we are made new creatures. Paul says there in verse 15, Circumcision, uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Have you become a new creation in Christ? Have you come to the cross, laid out your sin before God and said, God, I'm a mess. I can't do it. And received his forgiveness and salvation because it is only in that cross. It's only what Christ did at the cross that we can find forgiveness and we can be made a new creation. But that is the promise. Jesus used the image with Nicodemus of being born again, that, that, that you, you, you gain new life. You have a new birth. Paul uses this image of being a new creation. He uses it here. He uses it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jonathan preached to the youth Sunday, uh, Wednesday night about that. We are made a new creature in Christ when we bring our sin to the cross and he forgives us of our sin. It's not about my goodness. It's about what he accomplished on the cross. And so then we come to, <coughs> to verse 16 through 18. <coughs> I'm sorry. Whatever's out there in the wind has gotten me. <clears throat> Where he talks about this new standard, this, this, this new measuring stick. He says here, may peace come to all of those who follow the standard and may even, and mercy even to the Israel of God. I want to pause there for just a moment. I want to talk about some, some things in this particular verse that, that are, create some curious translation issues. Uh, the first one, and probably the most important idea that I want you to, to garner is the, what, that, where that word uh, standard comes from. He says, may peace come to all those who follow this standard is our, our, our CSB, our Christian Standard Bible Translation. That word standard is literally, in Greek, it's the word canon, okay? <clears throat> and it literally means cane, but in this context, it's used as a cane, used to be a, a measuring stick. I, I kind of laughed about it when I began to dig into this because <clears throat> out at the Deer Lease, we have to have water transported out there. There's no well water available. Uh, and so we, we, we have a big tank, a 1,600-gallon a uh, black tank that the water comes from, but you, somebody has to bring water out on a water truck and fill it. The way we keep up with whether or not we have enough water is we've got a, a stick, a one by two, that's about six foot long. And we take the top off the tank and we take that stick and we stick it down, <clears throat> put the stick down in the water and pull it back up and go, okay, how much water do we have left? And that is our standard. We, we take that and we hold it up against the marks. That, that becomes our standard. That is our measuring stick. <clears throat> and so Paul says here that we have been given a, 
a new standard. <coughs> that word eventually became, uh, was, is, is used for the canon of our faith or the canon of scripture. When church father sat down and said, okay, which of these letters truly are inspired of God and should be considered New Testament? And they, they established 27 books of the New Testament that's referred to as our New Testament canon. It's our, our, the books of the faith. And that's, it, it's the same word there. And so the idea is that there's this new measuring stick. There's this new standard. I want to give you an alternate translation uh, for this text though, because there's some weird things in the original language that I think are not handled well in the Christian Standard Bible that we generally, that I'm generally preaching from. The New International actually even handles them worse than that. The two best English translations that are out there are the, the, the New King James or the King James and the New American Standard. So let me give you my translation of, of verse 16. And it would be this, as many as who walk in step with this standard, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, your CSB, if you're using the CSB, even if you're using it uh, online on, on your phone or on your iPad, you probably have a note there that gives you two alternate translations. Both of them fail at one important point because both of them translate, there's a Greek word chi that can be translated or should be translated and uh, that gets translated even. So in our translation here, it says, and mercy even to the Israel of God. <clears throat> Here's why it's important. Who is it that this new standard is for? Let me read it again. As many as who will walk in step with this new standard, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul has been struggling with two groups of believers here in Galatians and struggling with some non-believers, okay? But the two groups of believers that he's struggling with, these are Christians, okay? But it's two disparate groups, two separate groups. It's the Gentiles who have been saved by faith, and it's the Jews who were Jews. They'd been circumcised. They'd been part of a synagogue. And remember, this is early on after, after Jesus' death and the birth of the church. And, and so you had Jews, Israelites, who had been saved by faith. And so Paul is bringing this back together to say, look, guys, there's a new standard. There's a new measuring stick. And, and in that new measuring stick, for anyone who walks in step with that measuring stick, and, and you'll notice, notice I use that translation there, those who follow that measuring stick, those who walk in step with this new standard, peace and mercy upon them. So who are them? Them are the Gentiles who have come to faith in Christ. Who is the Israel of God? The Israel of God are the Jews who are of God who have come to faith in Christ. And so Paul is, is, is proclaiming this, this blessing of God's mercy and God's peace, beginning with peace, peace and mercy upon all believers in Christ. Now, he does not equate, and, and there's a theological argument out there, is, is when he says Israel of God here, is this Israel referring to the whole church? I don't believe it is. Them is referring to the Gentile believers. The Israel of God is referring to the Jewish believers. But however you look at it, he is referring to all the believers and he's talking about those who, who hold on to this new standard, those who understand and believe and walk in this new standard of faith, this new measuring stick of faith, find peace and mercy. And eventually in the next verse, he's gonna say, 
they're going to earn two verses later, they're going to find the grace that comes in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the standard? What's the new measuring stick? The new standard, the new measuring stick is what takes place at the cross. That's the bottom line. If you back up from there, okay, so verse 16 says, <clears throat> may, you know, as many as who walk and step with this new standard, and, and I use the, the translation walk and step there to translate the word follow, uh, because that's the same idea that he used back in Galatians 5.25 when he says walk and step with the Spirit. That's often translated that way in Galatians 5.25. It's the same word. So the idea is if you subscribe to, buy into, you walk in this new standard, you'll find mercy and peace. What's the new standard? Once again, back up just a little bit. Paul says it is that this new standard is found in the new creation. Where does the new creation come from? The new creation comes from the cross. Let me read it in context. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is the new creation. And as many as who walk and step with this standard, with this truth, with this measuring stick, peace and mercy will be upon them. You want to find peace and mercy in your life? Walk and step with the truth of the cross. It's not about religion or religious exercise. Life is not about trying to do my best. Life is about surrendering myself to the cross of Christ. That's why Paul, I believe that one of the most important verses in Galatians is Paul's declaration in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh where all this battle's going on, this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me. The new standard that, our, that we will be measured by is what we did with the cross. How did you come to the cross? If you come to the cross as, as the, the man on, on one side and you mock the Christ on the cross, You'll be forever separated from God to spend your life of eternity in hell. If you come to the cross as the man who looked up to Jesus on the other side of the cross, both were criminals, just like we all are, but one criminal looked up to Christ and just said, what are we doing? He's not a sinner. I'm a sinner. He doesn't deserve to die. I deserve to die. Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To that person, the one who comes to the cross repentant and humble and, and willing to, to, to confess our sin, the promise of God is that you will be received into his presence. What did you do with the new standard? Not what, you, not what did you do with Judaism or what did you do with the Baptist faith and message or what did you do with, with the Nicene Creed even? 
though all of those things or many of those things may have very good theology and doctrine in them. What did you do with the cross? The cross is the measuring stick. The cross is the standard. If you come to the cross humbly, lay your life down before Christ, Scripture says he'll forgive you of your sins, he'll pick you up, and you'll become his. At the cross, we find peace. You'll find peace with God in only one place, and that's at the cross of Christ. The scripture says that because of our sin, we're separated from God. Because of our sin, we cannot stand before a holy God. Our sin disqualifies us from a relationship with a holy God. That bridge can't be crossed. That chasm can't, can't be, can't be uh, uh, traversed in any other way except for the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross, we can be reunited into a relationship with the God who created us. We can find peace with God through the cross. At the cross, we find mercy. And believe me, folks, whether you have USDA choice flesh or you've got grade B or C flesh, you need the cross. You need mercy. Because none of us deserve the gift of eternal life. None of us deserve it. And that's what mercy is. Mercy is God offering you a gift that you don't deserve, you can't earn. He's forgiving you of your sin. At the cross, we find peace. At the cross, we find mercy. And if you look down to verse 18, you'll also find the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is at the cross that you find his grace. God has offered every single one of us, regardless of our religious background or our history, or our heritage, whether we're, uh, what color our skin is, what nation we're from, he's offered every one of us a gift of eternal life. Mercy to forgive us of our sins, grace for eternal life. And it's all found at the cross. What are you gonna do with the cross of Christ? There's an old hymn that I just could not get away from as I finished preparing for this, uh, this message. And I don't, <clears throat> you don't want me to sing it to you, but you'll recognize the words. You may want to sing it in your head. It begins with, this, with, with, with an old English word, alas. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon that tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. 
If you'll come to the cross, understanding, yes, it was for my sins that Jesus died. Yes, it was for crimes that I had done that he groaned upon that tree. And yes, drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. But if I lay my life down, here, Lord, I give myself away. When we come to the cross and we surrender our life to Christ, Scripture says he forgives us and he cleanses us and he offers us that gift of peace and mercy and grace. Would you come to the cross today? If you have never come to that place where you put your faith, your hope, your future, your eternity in the hands of Christ because of what he did at the cross, I plead with you, let today be the day. Let Holy Week be a great celebration of what Christ has done in your life today when he saved you from your sins. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.